When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Thanks to everyone who supports independent tech news directly. If you're not already, become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Tuesday, December 11th, 2018 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. And from the edges of L.A. County, I'm Roger Chang, the show's producer. Nicole Lee, senior editor at Engadget.com, is back on the show. Welcome back, Nicole. Hello, happy to be back. Thank you for being here. Uh, Nicole is going to talk to us about the advances made by the comedic stylings of smart speakers later in the show. That's you've been, right. You've been covering this for months, literally. <laughs> literally. It's a new beat. Uh, yeah. Uh, are, are smart speakers funnier than you may think? The answer may surprise you. But first, let's start with a few tech things you should know. Dell announced it will buy back VMware tracking stock from its acquisition of EMC at a price of uh, $120 per share, totaling $23.9 billion and return to being a publicly traded company starting on December 28th. 61% of Dell shareholders voted in favor of the deal. Dell is $50 billion in debt from the $67 billion EMC acquisition that it made two years ago. Now, VMware was a big part of that acquisition. VMware will continue to run as a separate company with a separate stock listing. That doesn't really change. But if we are keeping score, yes, Dell has gone from going public in 1988 to going private in 2013 to going public again in just a couple of weeks. So 20 years, it'll go private again. Is that how the pattern works? Yeah. Uh, Instagram started rolling out a walkie talkie feature on Instagram direct Tuesday. Users can hold down the microphone button, record a voice message up to one minute long. It's permanent and works in one-on-one and group chats, both iOS and Android. So it's not exactly walkie-talkie, right? Because you're recording, not... Anyway, that's cool. That's fun. Go enjoy it. Uh, Let's talk a little about the latest on the super micro stuff. We haven't talked about this in a bit. We haven't, although Supermicro itself announced that an outside firm, which a source tells Reuters is Nardello & Co., found no evidence of malicious hardware in Supermicro's current or older motherboards. Supermicro commissioned the investigation after a Bloomberg article that was uh, back in uh, October reported that the Chinese government had implanted hardware on Supermicro boards in order to spy on traffic. Company always denied those claims. The firm tested samples of current motherboards, including versions that were sold to Apple and Amazon, and said, well, we didn't find anything. They examined software and design files as well. 
Yeah, I mean, there's not much to say on this, but I figured it was worth a, a check-in to note that Bloomberg still sticks by its sources, uh, and there has been literally no other evidence that their story is correct. Uh, government right. denials, company denials, and now the independent investigation that Supermicro hired uh, has come out. I mean, Supermicro did this basically to reassure their stockholders, who were very nervous that Bloomberg's story might be true, to say, look, we had independent investigators. Look, they didn't find anything that doesn't prove that it didn't happen. Just in case, you know, if you no. really want to be fair about this, right. it just means they didn't find any evidence. It could have been a very small batch and and maybe has been disappeared at this point and you wouldn't find it. Uh, but it also we don't have any evidence that it did happen other than Bloomberg sources. at this point. It was an odd story from the beginning um, in the sense that, of course, Supermicro. Well, I not, of course, but but Supermicro denied claims immediately. But one would think the company would do that, whether or not they were you know guilty or not. But Apple also came out and said this is absolutely not true. We would know. Um, and there have been a lot of sort of counter sources saying, well, there's something wrong with this Bloomberg article. Like, they, they, you know, they apparently talked to all these folks, but, but th- there aren't enough sort of, uh, um, you know, it, it, for anybody who does a lot of reporting, um, um, uh, you know, fact checking that has happened with the story. But again, it's Bloomberg. This is, you know, not a publication that, that, that would, publish something like this that has apparently been so well um uh researched researched thank you um that uh yeah it's it's a little confuddling however having an outside organization saying all right well we did our due diligence and there is again nothing wrong here is working in supermicro's favor nicole what do you make of all this um, like like you said, Sarah, I think um, there's no, I mean, I'm sure Bloomberg has their reasons. I'm sure Bloomberg has their reasoning of why they think their side of the story is, is accurate and true. Um, so I think, I mean, it's hard to say at this point. Uh, I mean, Supermicro may very well have a point here that there was no malicious ships, nothing's wrong, and Apple might very well have their own point too. I think it really, we'll see. We'll see. I think there needs to be a little bit more investigation done to really... Yeah. figure out what happened. It doesn't seem like Bloomberg is, is going to make another statement about this. Uh, they, yeah. they stand by their sources and that's it. That, and that's all they need to do. There's, there's no legal incumbency on them to, to say where their sources came from. Uh, unless someone can convince a judge that there was malicious intent in publishing this story, you can't get them on, on libel. So uh, we may be at a standoff uh, and, and it may be left as a mystery. Uh, what the difference is here. We'll see. CEO Sundar Pichai of Google told the U.S. House Judiciary Committee right now, right now, there are no plans to launch search in China. Uh, Pichai said Google has developed and looked at what search could look like. We've had the project underway for a while. And at one point, we've had over 100 people working on it. When asked if he would avoid censorship or surveillance tools, if they were to launch in China, Pichai said he would be very thoughtful about any relaunch. He added there are no current discussions with the Chinese government. No current discussions. An anonymous Chinese government official told Reuters it was unlikely Google could could get clearance to launch uh, in the next year. So no matter what Google really intends, this is not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, if you don't recall, Google pulled out of search in China in 2010 over pressure to censor results, claims of cyber attacks against Google originating from within China. Uh, to be honest, this took up a very small amount of this hearing. This hearing spent a lot of time 
on the question of bias. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of substantive talk on either side about that. Basically, uh, the congressional questions were, we think you're biased and here's our example. And Google said, I'm confident we don't approach our work with any political bias. Uh, Sundar Pichai said independent studies have not uncovered any bias. So you kind of had a, st- um, a he said, she said there, uh, except for the the pointing at the research. Even though it took up a very small amount, Google said a lot by what it didn't say in the China stuff, uh, ad- admitting that it was creating a search engine for China internally as an experiment. Uh, and and Pachai tried to convince the Congress that what they're doing is saying, hey, you know what? We know when information is made available, it causes positive results in every area of the world where we've launched. Is there a way for us to do this in China is what they're examining. A lot of people don't believe that, though. Uh, Nicole, do you? Um, I think... It really does seem like, as you said, like they've been working on this dragonfly, quote unquote, dragonfly project for a while now. And even though he says right now we have no plans to launch in China, clearly they do. Clearly they did or have had had plans at one point. So and it seems according to this, uh, some 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 recent stories as well, they have uncovered um, how deep this research had gone into. It sounds like it was basically a almost fully fleshed out product at some point. And um, we'll see. I don't, I, don't, I don't really know what the discussions are with the Chinese government, whether that has something to do, in, something to do with the, the, the rollout of this thing. And of course, there have been some employee pushback in the past few months about the whole censorship thing. So we'll see if it actually happens. Uh, but there is significant pushback for sure. No, I mean, is no Google in China better than... Google playing along with with Chinese policy. Uh, I'm not saying it is or it isn't. I'm just asking the question. Oh, that's a that's that's a question. Um, I is it is it better for Google to be in China for the like the, what what do we mean by better? I guess we can sort of well, that, that's a great question. Right? For yeah. I have a feeling that's probably what Sundar Pichai and team were thinking when they developed this internally. What if we could create a Google that had positive impact uh, on opening up China while playing within its rules to the letter? Could we do that? That may have been what they were after. That's 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 at least the best interpretation of what they might have been after. Uh, that sounds impossible. <laughs> uh, yeah. And 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 maybe that's where they came. Is like, yeah, we can't really do that. We but you would have to talk to the Chinese government to find out if what you were thinking would even work or be approved. A new Pew Research study found that one in five U.S. adults say that they often get news via social media. Now, this is interesting because this beats print newspapers as a uh, source for the first time, at least as far as uh, Pew has been doing this particular kind of research and asking folks these questions. Television is still the most popular news source, although TV has declined a little since 2016 and probably will continue to do so. News websites are the next most common source than radio. And then finally, that social media and print area. Social media has just edged it out um, in the latest report. Pew also asked people for the first time if they got news from a streaming device, if they were actually getting their news from television. 9% of respondents said, yes, they do so often. So that is a percentage that will probably continue to, uh, to, to increase year over year. I didn't see the 
surpassing of 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 print newspapers by social media as significant as as most of the other headline writers uh did out there and i I say other because i have been one uh this is more an indictment of the decline of newspaper subscriptions print subscriptions than it is the only thing that surprised me about it was that it didn't happen sooner yeah right i mean because news websites are the next most common source after television which is a lot of times newspaper websites right sure so it's it's the print, it's the in your hands, holding it in your hands that's that's fallen below social media. I would have, yeah, like you say, Sarah, I would have expected that had might have already happened. What's more significant to me is that if you combine news websites and social media, then 43% of adults get their news from the web, whether it's mm-hmm. social media or websites or whatever. That's that's gaining on television at 49%. That seems significant to me. Nicole, <laughs> as a as a news writer yourself, um, where where do you fall on the spectrum? Um, you know, does anything about this surprise you? Where do you feel like you get your most news? I mean, it's probably internet, but you know, is it is it social media? Is it you know more traditional websites or? Um, I do. I mean, I think like most people, I get my news through social media as well as you know going to the actual website, like. Uh, you know, NewYorkTimes.com or SFGate.com or, of course, Engadget.com. I have to say my own site. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I like, I mean, like everyone said, I, I, you know, the fact that this is new is surprising. Like, why didn't this happen a long time ago? But I don't think, you know, whether or not, you know, print newspapers, I guess they are kind of a dying breed, but news websites are still pretty strong. I like that. That's NewYorkTimes.com and like any other website.com, I still like my number one destination usually for news. Me, anyway. Yeah, uh, for for me, it's the BBC, but it's a news website, right? I mean, I look at it as, as an mm-hmm. app on on my phone usually more often than not. But you know, yeah. I'm not I'm not much of a newspaper reader, but I will get the Sunday New York Times. Um, you know, it's a little ritual. I like the crossword, whatever. Um. And it's funny, uh, in a neighborhood that I moved to recently, you can't find it anywhere. I mean, I'm sure it's around somewhere, but it's like you got the LA Times and like a variety of other publications, but the New York Times is just not something that you're seeing, you know, at, while you're at the checkout, the way that I remember always seeing it in years past, which might lend itself to this conversation. Yeah. It's also interesting, it's just like a little footnote PS here, is that a lot of newspapers are hiring. Like they're hiring like gangbusters right now for journalists, yeah. editors. So the business is not dying by any means. No, it's just moving to the web, which I think we all kind of knew was going to happen. Uh, Walmart opened its first online store in Japan in partnership with Japanese company Rakuten. The Walmart Rakuten Ichiban store uh, is what it's called. It's hosted on Rakuten's Ichiba digital shopping mall. Walmart will fulfill orders from the U.S. and ship directly to customers with the duties and taxes bundled into the price. So you see something that's 20,000 yen, you pay 20,000 yen. Don't worry about duties and taxes. That'll that'll be all covered by your price. And then it just ships directly to you from the United States. So you can get access to a lot of things that you might not be able to get access to otherwise. Uh, Walmart and Rakuten partnered up in January they, is when they announced it. Uh, they're also working together on grocery delivery in Japan. And in the US, uh, Rakuten is selling its Kobo ebooks, audiobooks, and e readers in Walmart in the US. I find this. I, I find this. 
it's interesting that it's got so much buzz. I think it's because Amazon has has stepped into Japan very successfully. Everyone wants to see if Walmart can stay in the game with Amazon. Uh, and then there's the addition of, of Japan being an interesting market to break into on its own, just because it, it, it is a more difficult market to break into from the outside sometimes. Uh, Nicole, what do you think? Uh, I was just going to ask whether these like what kind I, I guess the kinds of clothing and outdoor items like from us brands so like levi's jeans like i'm i'm just wondering I'm, what kind of products <laughs> sure i mean forget walmart is not just clothing right walmart's right. groceries <laughs> and electronics and toys and, and everything you can think All of, of. yeah so I, i'm guessing that you won't be able to buy us dvds first of all because they're region coded Right. Or could you? Is this going to be like a, a cool American import source for people? I think it's interesting. I think it's kind of funny. And, you know, it, the whole, like you mentioned, Japanese-U.S. relations, there's, there's definitely a, a, a thing in Japanese culture where they where they, they, they sort of like American-style products and they like the culture. So I can kind of see that. But I also think it's really funny um, to have to be Walmart, to be, Japanified in a certain way. I'd be it'd be really interesting right. to see if they have like Japan specific Walmart products or something like that. You know, I don't mm. know. I think it's yeah. kind of funny. Well, <laughs> get a load of this next story, guys, because this is very exciting to me. Puma is re-releasing its 1986 era RS computer running shoe in a limited run. It had run. a computer chip built into its heel <laughs> module. Not even kidding. Don't remember this. It was 1986 after all. To record distance, time, and calories. And the shoe could connect through a 16-pin connector to any Apple IIe, Commodore 64, or IBM PC to view their data. The new edition adds features that are more modern, like a three-axis accelerometer, LED lights, a USB port for charging, and Bluetooth to connect wirelessly to a phone. Puma's releasing only 86 individually numbered pairs that will be sold at stores in Berlin, Tokyo, and London. Those are official Puma stores, as well as KITH retailers going on sale on December 13th. Put those in my stocking. Well... (laughs) This is a really weird take on the whole retro uh, trend, right? It really is. Like it's, it's not like we're reminding people that, like, hey, we did this way back before the Apple Watch type well, thing. Because it's not a new design. That's it's it's <laughs> it's faithfully replicating the exterior of the original chunky Puma RS which was, computer, which was quite chunky. Yeah, especially that, yeah. Heel, right? Yeah. Yeah, which, which was the reason that it was probably yeah for you know for it, for any nerd back in the eighties it was probably a pretty cool thing but otherwise uh, um, not real aerodynamic as far as a puma shoe goes. I remember this, and I remember you do? Thinking it was dumb because <laughs> because because it, it was too chunky. It did too, it didn't do much, and it was really expensive, and you couldn't buy them. I think it was probably the last one that made me think it was oh, dumb. Just- As a sixteen-year-old, I was like, "Yeah, you mean I can't get I can't get one for good." Yeah. Stupid. Expensive, yeah. stupid, too expensive, and I can't get one. Well, at, uh, this, at the time, though, data collection—you know, as far as like personal data, like how many miles did I walk? Uh, yeah. You know, how many stairs did I climb? Like calories we, burned. The, the, yeah, very different days than, you know, today where every device we expect to, to give us that information as long as it's on our person. Yeah, well, I'm not going to be one to get the one of these 86 either, so I still think it's dumb. <laughs> I think it's great. Good on you, Puma. Somebody yeah, I, buy me one of those. 
Yeah. If you, and someone buys me one, I will change my mind. Uh, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, we've got the thing for you. It's another show we do in the DTNS land called daily tech headlines. You can get all the headlines summarized in about five minutes at dailytechheadlines.com. So a few months ago, back in June, Nicole did a story on, uh, the how funny the different voice assistants are. Uh, you you actually talked to stand up comedians and had them evaluate yeah. how funny the assistants are. But you haven't stopped there. Uh, you've been following up on this story, and apparently, the Echo. I don't know if it's as a result of your story, maybe because I know one of your comedians ranked the Echo as the funniest of the assistants. But it has gotten a job in improv, Nicole. Yeah, so uh, there's a local improv comedy show in San Francisco. It's called Alexa Improvise, and uh, it's kind of a that's kind of a pun there. It's AI Alexa Improvise. Anyway, mm. uh, <laughs> Alexa Improvise, where they use an Amazon Echo as kind of a prop slash inspiration for their improv comedy shows. So there's essentially two parts of the show. There's the sh- Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Does the... There are little short little games in the beginning, sort of like whose line is it anyway? Where yeah, um, improv they, games, those are pretty yeah. typical, right? Yeah. But they, they use the echo as like inspir- like little like little prompts for things. For example, if they're having like a like a game, like a game where people are, are experts, are experts on subjects, they could ask the the echo, hey echo, what is the what is the most what is the fastest car in the US? And it will sort of tell you this fact and they can incorporate it into their, their little game. But um the that that's sort of like sort of introducing what the, what the echo can do. The second part of the show is the longer format of the show, where they take an audience suggestion of, of a noun, and then they tell they ask the 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 echo to say, Alexa, read me a book on blank, and it could be read me a book on cups, read me a book on microphones, and it will actually read an ex- an audible excerpt on like a random book on this random topic, and they can use that little as, as, as a jumping off point for their, for their improv routines. But uh, the, and, and, I, and I, attend, I attend one of these shows and it's hilarious because even when the echo gets it wrong, it's funny. In fact, it's even funnier when it gets it wrong. Uh, for example, there's this one point where uh, they asked, one, one of, they were doing a skit and one of the improvisers asked the echo, Alexa, what is, what is the most popular car? You gotta, you gotta stop saying her name because you're you're setting mine off, and I'm sure oh, everybody's sorry, listening. Sorry. Um, <laughs> a word, the A word, mm-hmm. Echo Lady. What is the what is the most popular car? Echo Lady, in, that's right. And then instead of instead of instead of answering the question, the she was like, 
I like electric cars. <laughs> <laughs> and then so so the the improviser was like, uh, yes, I like electric cars too. So she, and then that was sort of the jumping off point for this routine. And uh, a lot of times, a lot of the humor is when she just doesn't answer the questions and she just like just completely fails at her job. And it was really interesting. I was reading this New York Times article and, and hopefully you have a little thing on this where there have been a lot of like pre, uh, a president of people trying to make robots funny, like AI researchers. They're just trying to like make it interesting. And I think the reasoning for this um, is the idea is that, you know, we want robots to be friendly. We want robots to be our friends, kind of. We want them to be our companions, our, um, our basically human substitute companions. So we want to instill in them yeah. some kind of personality. Your cybernetic right? pal who's fun to be with. Right. And that's kind of like a basis for a lot of science fiction. We mentioned this before the show, but, you know, Data and Star Trek, like, you know, telling really bad jokes. Um, and there was, this, there was this researcher in the New York Times where he was basically feeding this AI movie quotes from like thousands or hundreds of movies just to like, just to teach it context, teach it how to talk to people and teach it, you know, interesting comebacks for quotes. And, um, you know, they kind of, this this person, I can't remember his name, and then just give it proper do and do. Um, Peter Murawski, as an AI researcher for Google's DeepMind, I believe. And uh, they he kind of managed to get it working, you know, as, as kind of a show. But even in those situations, it's the part where the AI, the robot messes up, where it's funny. Yeah. Um, and I, we're at the point right now where that's kind of where we are. Like, it's, it's, really, it's really hard. It turns out humor is really difficult. Um, to t- <laughs> right. <laughs> For humans as well. Yeah. Well, I, I, the one thing I took away from, from your, your story is that, uh, first of all, there, there are many things that AI can't do as well as us yet. Uh, and it's questionable whether they'll ever be able to do it as well as us. And one is humor. Like you said, data on Star Trek The Next Generation is sort of the fictional example of this. Just not able to understand humor because it's not logical. It doesn't fit a pattern. In fact, it thrives on subverting the pattern. So an AI that will be able to make us laugh is going to be a huge advance for AI. Uh, I'm also fascinated with this idea that the echo is now a new category in improv. You know, props and suggestions from the audience are what improv thrives on. If you've never been to an improv show, it is generally uh, a thing where they'll ask the audience, like, give me a, a noun, give me a food, give me, you know, give me this, give me that. And then they create, they imp- improvise a funny situation around those things. Having the echo providing some of those, but also being a participant that you can bounce things off of and ask questions to uh, is, is sort of straddling that line. And I find that fascinating. Yeah, and at, at one point during the show, uh, one of the improvisers asked the the, the Echo, uh, "What is? Tell me an interesting fact, and just 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 like just like add add add, add an interesting pizzazz to the show." And of course, if you ask the Echo, "Tell me an interesting fact," it will tell you a random interesting fact about just anything. And in our show, it was like, "Oh, did you know army ants uh, uh, excrete a pheromone?" that um, enables, enables them to follow around. And sometimes army ants die by just running, walking around in circles because they've lost the scent of their fellow coworkers. And I'm like, this is a really dark turn for this kind of funny comedy but show. But interesting nonetheless. Interesting yeah. nonetheless. And they, they, 
they managed to turn it into something humorous, you know, in part in part of part of part of the the sketch. So I don't know. I thought that was fascinating and hilarious. And um, one of the improvisers told me it's great when she gets things right, but it's even better when she gets things wrong. Yeah, because because that's you know again comedy thrives on surprise and it, and it thrives on subversion. And yeah. so when she gets things wrong, it's it's feeding right into that, which is which exactly. is I'm sure why they like it. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, if you want to read more about this, uh, you're going to have this article out in Engadget t- tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. December 12th. So if you're listening to this December 12th, then go look. It's there at Engadget.com. Hey, thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit and gadget stories and others are always featured. You can submit your own and vote on other stories at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. Also, we're on Facebook. If you want to hang out on Facebook with us, please do so. Facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow. Well, let's check out what's in the old mailbag. Oh, let's. So Marlon um, had some some really good insight. He posted this on our blog, and this is in reference to our story yesterday about the possibility of the Melly Rock Dance uh, being in Fortnite uh, without um, uh, uh, attribution and 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 what it might mean. Marlon says, "I was a little disappointed when you said in the Melly Rock story that Millie just wants to get paid." Millie, of course, is a rapper, not a verbatim quote, and I know malice was not intended with what you said. However, I've been following this for a while, and Millie and other Black creators have been mulling this over for a while, and they're more upset at the lack of respect. This is historical for Black creators, especially in the digital age. Black Twitter can tell you all about it than anything else. The instances you mentioned uh, about Beyonce and others using the same dance also neglected to mention that they reached out to him beforehand. It would have also been noteworthy to discuss the legal argument that they're making which focuses on Epic's creative process. Epic, of course, makes Fortnite, particularly the act of using copyrighted music videos to create the animations that they use for in-game emotes. They're alleging that the animators are tracing over copyrighted images in the videos to create the emotes. Tricky legal waters, but rather interesting. And I'd love to hear the legal geeks take on it. Um, well, yeah, I, I would love to hear the legal geeks take on it too. So maybe check out legal geek at the end of current geek, which is a different show, but, uh, I'm sure he will touch on it. I don't think they can get very far because if you're tracing over a copyrighted image to create something new, that is kind of the definition of fair use. It's the kind, it's kind of the definition of transformative use. I don't think they've got a copyright case there. And that that's why I didn't touch on that. But the other point points here are very well made. Uh, I I didn't realize that he had reached out beforehand or or that I'm sorry, that they had reached out beforehand to him uh, about using the Millie Rock, which makes perfect sense. That's the weird Al Yankovic model, too. Right. Exactly. He has yeah. the right to do the parodies, but he reaches out for approval. So that makes that I, I actually brought those examples up not to make Millie Rock. Or, or make uh, two Millie look bad, but to say, hey, you know, there's people in the community who can do this that he approves of. Uh, there's a way to do this right. And I made that point very badly. So thank you, Marlon, for helping me make it better. Um, I was going on the, the the wanting to get paid from a lot of the things that two Millie said in the video that I watched. Uh, but the idea that really what they want is a respect makes more sense to me, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. Because really what he's saying is, hey, you just took this and you didn't talk to me. Uh, and that's disrespectful. And, and and I'm glad Marlon corrected us on that. Thank you, Marlon. Thank you very much, Marlon. Um, really good insight there. Um, also, thanks to Nicole Lee for being with us on this fine Tuesday. Nicole, where can everyone keep up with your work? 
Um, well, you can just go to Engadget.com for um, all my stories on there. Or you can just go to um, my Twitter page at Twitter.com slash Nicole. And I'll probably tweet some links to the stories I mentioned today as well. Excellent. Go check it out. Uh, and folks, don't forget, uh, there's all kinds of cool stuff when you become a member of DTNS that you're missing out on if you're not a member of DTNS. That includes exclusive columns, uh, exclusive audio episodes where I go into depth on, on what my thinking is about things going on in the tech world called the Editor's Desk. That and much more available at patreon.com slash DTNS. Our goal every month is always to get one patron more than last month. So help us get there by becoming a member right now. Patreon.com slash DTNS. Do you have feedback? Well, I've got an email address for you. Feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We're also live Monday through Friday. If you can join us live, we'd love to have you. 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 21.30 UTC. And you can find out more. Tell a friend at patreon.com or dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back tomorrow with Scott Johnson. Talk to you then. (laughs) This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.